Well, thank you. You all can take a seat, and our children are uh, dismissed to the kids' table. If um, any kids would like to go to a special kids' program today, um, and to kind of set the stage for our message today, um, we have a little video for you to watch. Go ahead and watch this. So I hear the kids in the pantry, and I'm thinking, hmm, what could they be up to? And I open the door, and this is what I see. What are you doing? I know. What have you been doing to your brother? Did you go in the garbage? of those occurrences in your family. Kids and pets can be very messy things, right? Um, well, today we're going to be talking about messy babies, and not just the kind that we just watched, but um, a different kind of baby. But um, I thought I'd also share with you a couple of fun facts that I discovered about babies. Um, maybe you didn't know this, but babies don't go number two until after they're born. And actually, it doesn't stink. Their first one never stinks. No gut bacteria to give it stinkiness until the next couple ones, then you kind of realize it. Babies are born with no kneecaps. They don't have kneecaps, that's not developed until later. And a newborn's tummy holds only one teaspoon of liquid. Only one teaspoon, and then it expands. And babies actually cry without tears. They cry without tears. Um, and, and I think we had this discussion this week in the office, but we think that um, God made babies cute because they're a mess, right? <laughs> babies and messes are like equivalent. They're cute little messes. And God said, okay, I'm going to make them super cute. So you smile when they create them. Well, we're in the third week of our Messy Church series, and we've been unpacking the book of 1 Corinthians, just the first six chapters of that is what we're doing here. And um, in this book, we've been talking about how Paul is dealing with division in the church, 
Last week, we talked about the gravity that he was facing, meaning that these people were being drawn back into their old ways of life, their old habits, the old expectations of the culture at the time. And, and they're basically, their, their actions and behaviors were really rooted in two things. Two things. One being arrogance, and the second being immaturity. But we're in chapter 3 this week. We've gone through the first two chapters. We're in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul begins to address the topic of spiritual maturation. So what it means to mature spiritually. And, and, and the thing is, the way that he encounters this is by describing the Corinthians as babies. <laughs> As babies. And, and let me just start off here by saying one thing, and that is that it's okay to be a baby if you are a baby. If you're a baby, you expect baby behaviors. If you're a new believer, if you're new to faith, then there's going to be messes that you get into spiritually that you have to face in order to grow up. And just like if we would walk out in public, say, and maybe you go to the mall and you see a mother, a mother with a, a three-month-old, and you see her get one of those, like, blanket things. You know, we have a bunch of babies and moms and, and, and dads and folks here. But you get one of those blanket things to cover up, right? And you see a mother sitting in the corner nursing, right? If you saw that as a three-month-old, we would all be like, okay, well, that's, like, legit. That makes sense, Right? But if you saw the same mother with a 10-year-old doing the same thing, you'd start to wonder, wouldn't you? You'd start to be like, hmm, right? Like, you would agree that some things are natural and beautiful, but some things just are not right. There's something wrong. And that goes for us spiritually as well. That goes for us spiritually. And these are some statistics that... Um, I was doing a little bit of study of this that had just come out, 2022. So this is a reflection of really the last two years and kind of the state of the church and discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And there was a study um, by Barna that revealed that among Christians, it's estimated that 40% of Christians are not growing in their faith. 40% would say that they are stunted. They show characteristics of being stunted in their faith. And another 28% uh, are estimated only being fed, meaning that they're only, it's a one-way direction, that they're growing, they're receiving, they're receiving, but they're not on the giving end at all, meaning that they're not helping anyone else mature. And, there's, and another 28% would be estimated to be both growing and help others grow. So, so this is a, a big issue, and this is what I'm talking about, like the big C church, to know that, that we're continually growing and being shaped in our, in our faith. We're becoming more and more like Christ. That's what Paul talks about. But today's question is a good one. And that question is, are we spiritual infants, or are we just behaving like it? Think about that. Are we spiritual infants or just behaving like that? And I think we can relate this to also different areas of life too. Like are, are there areas of life that we need to mature in? We need to grow up in? Or are we just kind of resorting back to those behaviors and we're just behaving like it? And let me say this though, growing up is messy. Growing up is messy. 
You know, you can think back to when you were a, a child and like, you know, going through the teenage years, young adulthood, and so on. Like, I'm sure that there were many turning points in there, and I think we'd all agree that growing up is messy, but it's necessary. It's necessary. And so um, we're going to look at this scripture, and actually four years have elapsed between Paul when he started the church in Corinth and when he wrote this letter. So he spent about uh, 18 months or so in Corinth. He started the church. People came to faith. He kind of brought them in groups, and they began to, to come together. And then eventually, when he felt it was okay to do so, he, he left them. And so four years have passed since that time he was in Corinth and the time that he's writing this letter. And so in those four years, you know, you can imagine probably lots of things took place, but something prompted him to write this letter when he received word that things were not going as he'd like. But, but think for a second, think, where were you four years ago? So it's October 2018. How many years younger were you four years ago? Well, this isn't rocket science. Four, there we go, bingo, bingo, you're awake, there we go. So, uh, and our high school seniors were in eighth grade. We're in eighth grade, and, and you imagine how much changes between eighth grade and, and 12th grade, right? Or entering into, like, you just have to think about that. And for many of us, we can look back four years ago, and you maybe have a story of something that you can relate to in that way. But Paul's reports of the Corinthians, though, four years have passed, were that nothing had changed, meaning that spiritually they had not matured and actually they had probably regressed. They had gone backwards. So today we're going to look at chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about spiritual immaturity and especially the characteristics of spiritual maturity. And I think for all of us, if we're really humble about it, we can see these in ourselves we can see these in ourselves. So he starts off in verses 1 through 3. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, babies, right? I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Ouch, right? You are still worldly. Double ouch. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Ooh, right? Are you not acting like mere humans? So the first characteristic of spiritual maturity we see, first is a lack of development. A lack of development. So in these verses, Paul looks back to when he first came to Corinth and when he was starting the church, when he was sharing the good news of Jesus with these people from all different backgrounds, many pagan backgrounds, worshiping all these other gods. And the Corinthian church members were unbelievers at that point when he first met them, meaning that they didn't know Jesus, they didn't know about Jesus, they didn't know the good news of salvation that Jesus had to offer but then when Paul shared that with them, they heard the good news. They placed their trust in Jesus. They trusted Jesus. They placed their faith in him and who he was. And of course, starting out that way, from no background whatsoever, Paul had to speak to them as what he calls barely infants. He had to speak to them starting down here, not like up here. We're not talking like N.T. Wright theology and like all these, like, we're talking like down here, bottom shelf, right? Easily accessible. 
And if you think about it, how do we usually speak to infants? We speak to them much differently than we speak to teenagers, I hope. And much differently than you speak to uh, your coworkers or your spouse, right? Different than adults. You know, you use different language. You don't use big words. You use smaller ones. You're, you're teaching. You're sharing. And so Paul says he gave them milk. He gave them milk. That's what you give babies. Milk is stuff that's easy to digest, easy to understand. Things like, like God is love. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? For the Bible tells me so, right? Like, he's starting out just with these some very basic ideas describing who Jesus is. But the thing is, after they come to faith, they're supposed to have grown. It's been four years. It's been four years have passed. And Paul knew that when he started out with them, they weren't ready. They weren't ready for advancement beyond that for understanding the, question, the big questions of life and how Jesus addresses them. The problem is four years later, they're still not ready. They're still not ready. So something is amiss. See, and this is a huge point here, is that Paul is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to people that are in relationship with Christ, that we say are legitimate Christians. But the thing is, they're not behaving like it. They're stuck. They're stuck where they were when he first met them. And I think for a lot of us, for a lot of people, their faith has never grown up. Our faith hasn't grown up. Many of us have still been stuck on the flannel graph version of Jesus and the cliches that we first learned and stuck to. And, and the thing is, the way you find that out is, is if your faith has matured, is that when something happens in life to challenge you, you either walk away and give up or you shrug your shoulders. And, and so others, though, others, when that happens, out, say that, like outgrow their faith. To say, oh, well, it's just a thing of fairy tales, right? I was taught that Jesus, you know, he was this guy and he walked the earth and he did these magical, amazing things. And I'm too old for that now. And you know people like this. I'm too old for that. That's just a legend. That's just a fairy tale. It's another one of those religious things. And, and instead of allowing their faith to grow and develop into an adult faith, into a mature faith, they have to get to the point that they're ready for meat, not just milk. To be able to ask hard questions and not be dismissed. To be able to investigate for yourself, why do bad things happen to good people? Why was my grandmom not healed? Why did this storm take place and destroy these people's property when they prayed that that would not happen? Why, why, why? And when you investigate and wrestle through these things. And when you're surrounded, I love this about Table Life Church. Like, we're not afraid of questions here. We're not afraid of wrestling and, and the I don't knows and investigating. But when you can surround yourself with people that see the value in that, in growing a, a deeper faith and a deeper relationship with Christ, we can't be afraid of getting messy. That there may come a point that it almost feels like you're losing your faith, but in order to grow in it, sometimes you have to reach that point. It's messy. It makes a mess of our faith. And that's actually a good thing. The problem is when we stop at the mess, 
And a lot of people stop at the mess, the mess that's caused and the answers that are unresolved. And, and that's when they walk away. But when you pursue the mess, when you go through the mess, there's growth on the other side. See, messes are actually expected. Did you know this? They're actually expected and indicative of a healthy baby. This is proven scientifically. If you have a baby who is making a lot of messes, so this is good news for you parents out there. So they're making a lot of messes. That actually means that they're curious. Their brains are growing. That they're, they're, they're growing in a healthy way. And I think it's the same thing for us spiritually. When we create some spiritual messes within and among ourselves, that shows that, that something good is happening because we're growing. We're growing. And how do, you, how do you tell if someone is a spiritual infant? How do you tell if, if, a real, if a baby is a real baby? Well, of course, you look at how they act, right? You look at how they act and how they respond. And the things that Paul indicates here that demonstrate immaturity and this lack of development, he lists these things. He says jealousy, quarreling, and division. And I think that relates to there's necessary messes that are needed for growth, and then there's unnecessary messes like these very things. See, necessary messes are just like the messes that you create in the kitchen. When, when the stuff gets poured over and your elbow hits it, but then eventually there's something good that emerges from the other side, like a cake, right? But then there's unnecessary messes that are not fruitful at all that all they do is cause problems. And that's what, that's what Paul is indicating here, jealousy, quarreling, division. That's the stuff of spiritual infants. And spiritual infants are characterized by ignorance. Not what they're stupid or anything, but that they don't know what they don't know. There's kind of a lack of self-awareness, a lack of knowing how you're, you come across, a lack of knowing how people are responding to you. And one thing that we need to recognize, too, is that as Paul's talking here, he, he's saying that spiritual maturity is not correlated to age or to time either. He's talking to a people across the, the span of the lifespan that, that just because we're older does not mean that we're spiritually mature. Just as just because you're younger doesn't mean you're spiritually immature. See, it's not correlated to the number of services that you've attend or the years that you've attended classes, classes. I've known very, some spiritually immature people that have attended thousands of hours of classes. It's not any more effective than what I did in college, right? I got my biology textbook, and when I didn't have time to study, I put it under my pillow, and I slept on it, right? It's like, I'm going to learn through osmosis. It's not actually real, really osmosis, right? But, but it's not correlated to that. And the thing is, if those of us, if we see that in ourselves, when we recognize that and we admit that, hey, there's, some, there's lack of development in some of these areas spiritually and in my life, when you recognize that and you want to grow, here's a growth factor for you. My advice to you is to do something uncomfortable. To get out of your comfort zone. It's amazing when you get out of your comfort zone, how open your mind is and your heart is to learning and growing. It's just like potty training. Those of you guys that have any, ever potty trained uh, a, a, a small child, potty training involves running around naked or poo-poo in pants. It's messy, but it's necessary. 
And I would say this too, those of us that are ministry leaders, if you're a ministry leader and maybe you're, you're working with a group of people, if you, see, if you see someone who is lacking development and growth, invite them to join you. Invite them to get uncomfortable alongside you, not to throw them in the deep end, but to walk alongside, to ask questions, read books, giving, give people opportunities to practice doing the very, the scariest thing ever, praying aloud. You don't learn how to do it until you try to do it. And do it over and over and over again and mess up and say, oh, God, uh, 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 uh. And guess what? You're in a safe group of people and nobody really cares because you're learning and growing. Attending worship regularly, being a part of a group, all these things, uh, they, they contribute to our growth. And even for those of us maybe that are healing from church trauma, and church, let me say this, church trauma is real. You'll never heal from church trauma if you never open up. You stay the same by doing the same. We have to lean in and participate and get uncomfortable. And through that, we find that God is developing and growing us and shaping us. But a second characteristic of spiritual immaturity is clinging to preferences and comparisons. Clinging to preferences and comparisons. Okay, so let's do a couple of these. Who do you like better? Preferences and comparisons. Ready? First one. Batman or Superman? Batman? Do you prefer Batman? Superman? I don't care. How about that? Indifference, right? Indifference is king, right? Batman or Superman? How about this? This is one of my favorites. Angela or Betty? Mm, God bless them, right? I know. Love the, I love them both. So Angela? Angela? Dun, 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 Okay, or Betty, right? Golden Girls, yeah, we love, I love them. You're like, oh, I like them both, right? Um, and how about the last one here? When it comes to fries, Mickey D's or Chick-fil-A? Mickey D's, Chick-fil-A, waffles. Yeah, right, these are all preferences, right? We can't really say there's a proven, maybe you in your mind can say that, but there's, but there's a proven right way to go. But Preferences are good things. We're all individuals. We all have different ones. But the problem arises when factions arise. When someone says, oh, this is the only, the only fry that you can eat, and anybody else that eats the other Chick-fil-A, oh, man, they're just they're losers. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. When we cling, not having preferences, but when we cling to those in comparisons. And Paul says this, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. There's always going to be preferences. So Apollos, so what we know about him was he was from Alexandria in Egypt, and he was a very eloquent speaker. He was an eloquent speaker in the church. Maybe he received some of the background from the, we talked about the, the traveling uh, rhetoricians, the people that were coming and speaking in, in Corinth at the time. And he was highly favored among many of the people because they liked how he spoke. But Paul is saying 
it's not about him, but it's also not about me. It takes a real leader to say that, right? It's not about Paul or Apollos. And I think sometimes we realize we get a little mixed up and we place our faith often in a person or even a human-made group of people, or, or we place our faith, rather than in Christ, we place it in a denomination or a certain church. And you know what that causes? Division. Call, you know, to say, oh, well, I follow Paul, you know, follow, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And we know this, you know, you've experienced this. You know, people that say, well, my church is the one true church, and everybody else, well, they're just kind of knockoffs, Right? Or, hey, you know, the, the pastor's leaving, so I can't go to worship there anymore. You know, who are you following in the first place? I've been a part of churches that way. But the key phrase here is verse 5, where Paul says, We are only God's servants through whom, through whom, through whom you came to believe. That God uses us as tools, as instruments through whom that people can experience Christ. And Paul is using this agricultural metaphor here, right? The planting, the watering, the growing, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and it was well known at the time, especially in the ancient world, you know, that humans, of course, and we know this too, could control some factors, but not all the factors to produce a harvest. We can change the environment, we can change the amount of water things are getting, but there's other factors that are out of our control that reap a harvest. And the roles of planting, watering, sowing. You and I, we have different ones. And comparing them with other people is not going to help things. There's different roles. And, and there's also different seasons for roles. You know, maybe one season that, hey, you're planting seeds. You know, you're sharing your faith with someone or you're there for someone else to pray. And, you know, and, that, and that's going to happen. You don't really see things down the road. But then there's another season that you're a waterer. You know, you're helping someone, you're helping generate that faith or that growth in faith, and maybe later on, there's a different season that happens. And isn't that encouraging, though, that you and I, we're not responsible for everything? We're not responsible to say, okay, well, if I just try hard enough, right? Ground, grow, right? Seed, grow. Like, that doesn't work for anybody. I do that with my plants in my office. They're half dead, right? That's what happens. But, but that, that takes the load off of us. All of them are needed. We play a role, not all the roles. And the same thing happens in the local church body too. That there's seasons of ministry and roles. And those of you guys that have been here a long time and, and have seen through different pastoral transitions and, and people, you know, we've had uh, Pastor Steve preached here several weeks ago. And, and Pastor Steve's season and his role was ideal for the time that he served. Pastor Rob, I would say the same thing, both great friends of mine, you know, for the season of ministry and life, he was exactly what this church needed. And I hope that I can also serve in that role for exactly what is needed in this time. But comparing us, why would you do that, you know? That's at a loss because they're different roles in different times. But it's only God who truly brings growth in our lives. That's where our loyalty is. It lies in him. And that the seed is the gospel message, more important than the servant. But then he continues. Then Paul continues with the second metaphor. First the seeds and the growing and planting, and then he says this in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. He's going on houses, right? As a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. 
But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying that God's building is not brick and mortar. You know, and we know that. You, we talked about this in our table group this week. If anybody ever learned the, ch- the little church thing the, the, with the fingers, the finger church thing, right? You kind of go like this. The, how does it go? Here's the church, right? And then there's the steeple. You can do this with me. You remember your childhood. Open the door. And then what do you see? You see all the people. This is the church, though. This is not the church. This is the church, right? <laughs> it's the people of God with the foundation of Jesus. You know, this is a a building. It's a very beautiful building. I'm so thankful for the hands that made this building. But if somebody bought this building, or dare I say there was a fire and it burnt down, Table Life Church would still exist. It's the people. Paul's saying he started the church. He started the Corinthian church. But it's not about what he wants. It's about what God wants. See, maturity always recognizes that we're building on someone else's foundation. And, and there's a difference between temporal and eternal, meaning the now or the looking in the, law, the far game, in the long distance. And preferences and, and those types of things can often get in the way of that. Uh, you know, when a parent, right, walks out of a room, with, say maybe you have a, a two-month-old, and a parent walks out of the room, what usually happens? The baby cries, right? Babies only believe what's in front of them. It's something called object permanence, meaning that when I, something goes out of my field of vision, I don't see it, I believe it still exists. You know, you and I have that, hopefully, but babies, little ones, don't until about eight months old. See, spiritual infants want the now. They only see the now. Instead of looking at the long game, they just can't see it. But the good news is there's a growth factor here. And that growth factor means that we get outside of ourselves. We get outside of our preferences. Maybe for you, it's a certain type of worship music. I would say go and expose yourself to other types of worship music. Maybe it's a certain, something else that that you're tied to, a certain type of, of preaching or being church, a certain type of even study or reading the scripture, maybe even reading a certain version of the Bible. Check out a different translation. Sacrifice your preference, get uncomfortable, get outside yourself and see what God might be doing there and with that. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but see, can God also be at work here in these ways that might not be my preference, but might be someone else's preference and connect with others? But the last thing that Paul shares about what it means to be spiritually immature Spiritually immature, spiritual immaturity is characterized by emphasizing individual identity over collective identity. Um, if you've ever been out west, say in the west coast, um, maybe you took a tour of one of the national parks out there, um, you've probably seen these kinds of trees. They're called redwood trees. Anybody ever traveled, traversed? I have not, so I would love to sometime. Um, but redwood trees can grow about 300, 400 feet in the air. And they're centuries old, some for, for thou, almost a thousand years. And, and what I learned about these trees really fascinated me. I looked at their roots. I did some unpacking of the roots. Can you guess what their roots do that, that help them to grow like that? It's not the depth of the roots, but it's the root system that they're a part of. See, each tree has a network of roots that stretch out 
about 200 to 300 feet, so almost as high as the tree itself, and it stretches out, and the roots actually connect and intertwine with other roots. And you know what that does? That stabilizes and enables every tree to soar high into the sky. Think about that. Think about that. It's not about the personal depth, but it's about the relational depth. And Paul says it like this. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He's using this temple metaphor, saying that, and he's saying this while the temple still existed in Jerusalem. It had been a sacred site for years. The temple is where God dwells. But he's saying you, you, not you like you individually. He's saying you all, yins, right? You, and it was just plural actually in the entire passage. He's saying we are the temple of God together. And of course, we in the Western world, in the church, uh, we often pride ourselves on rugged individualism. Uh, we think that when we read scripture, it's always about me. It's always individualized. But the culture Paul was writing and living was way more corporate than that. That's why we see in scripture that whole households were baptized, whole households at once. We see the importance of being connected to a new family, being adopted into a new family of the church. There's a collective identity. The question, who do you belong to? Everybody needs to belong to a someone. And that changes how we, are, how we view these things, how we see, or even how we see more accurately that collective identity together. And the growth factor here, to grow in that area, we have to connect. We have to connect. Discipleship. Being a part of a group, even though it's scary being with strangers and kind of having to share a little bit about your life. It's taking a risk and asking to get together with someone. You know, there's people in, this, in our church community you don't know, but maybe you would like to get to know. We need to grow together, being a part of the body. We need to be messy in each other's lives and also help with each other's messes. But then Paul goes and issues probably what's the sternest warning in the entire New Testament. And he says in verse 17, But if anyone destroys God's temple, God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And sometimes verse 17 is taken out of context, and it's used to address the thing called suicide. And it's not talking about that at all. What it is talking about is that anyone who's a source of division within the body will face consequences. That God will deal with that person. Specifically, dealing with those who hurt others, those who are unwilling to submit to leadership or be accountable to one another. Those that go out of their way to divide, to destroy the body. And this is a very stern warning that Paul has here. The temple, us together, is valuable and loved and protected by God. And then he concludes, So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. The words, all things are yours, he's actually sarcastic here. It's ironic because this was a phrase that they often quoted time and time again that he was being sarcastic because he was indicating that this is nobody's church but Jesus' church. 
This is Jesus' church, not your church, not my church, not Paul's church, not Cephas, not Apollos, that we are Christ's church. And that collective identity is what will, will power us and take us into the future. And that when we emphasize our individual peace in that, we're getting it wrong, that we need to be part of something greater. So let me finish up with a, just a very short story. Um, I heard this um, about a group of tourists who were visiting a picturesque village in France. And they were visiting on these day trips, and they walked by um, an old man who was sitting beside a fence in this village. And in a rather patronizing way, one of the tourists went to the old man and asked him, were any great men or women born in this village? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. That's where we all start, but that's not where we all stay. Growing up is messy, but it's necessary. God wants to grow us and to shape us. Not as, as some of us have experienced in real life as an abusive parent, but rather as a loving one. But do we trust him? Do we trust what he's doing and the means by which he may be growing us? Because it may be uncomfortable, it may be challenging, and it may be messy. And we may need to give up something. But on the other side of it, is a maturity in faith, is growth in grace in Christ, a growth that stands the storm, that bonds us together, roots entangled with the rest of our church family, a church that has many parts and many roles in a beautiful way, a temple where God dwells, a beauty out of the mess.